Welcome to the Bag Drop Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your co-host, once again, Matt Considine, here with our other co-host, the professor, Kevin Moore. Top of the morning to you, sir. I feel so good to be back on my rig setup. Um, I feel like I haven't <laughs> been here for like, in. it's been like a month and a half since I've actually been set up at the the home rig for this, and so I'm bringing my A game today. Uh, um, you sound a little echoey, but... Yeah, yeah, I yeah. might be so, outclassing you today. I think I think this is what uh, what do they call this? They call it karma. Uh, as I gave you, I ran you through the gutter for being on conference Wi-Fi with uh, a couple episodes ago. Uh, if you're a dedicated listener to the podcast, Brandon Porath, great ch- great chat with Brandon. But Kevin was dialed in on very suspect internet connections. That uh, how how many hours? A uh, little behind the. Uh, scenes here inside baseball how many hours did your computer tell you it would take to upload that that while you're walking around a conference center what, what did it say I, I think it told me like 47 minutes but it ended up like an hour and 45 minutes or something like that just had to go sit at an ex- exhibitor's booth with my computer just held up in the background making sure it didn't die before that episode got up because we couldn't the, the pro- did not want to the leave professor Brandon. walking around yeah. walking around a math ed conference with his computer open trying to get <laughs> trying to get the best signal so we don't lose uh, a very fun conversation with Brandon that so now now it all comes full circle I am on a very amateur setup today uh, my iPhone with head uh, ear pods uh, in my in my possession so I apologize for the quality, guys. We really are a professional podcast. We've upped the game. Professor, I'm glad you got a home game today. I'm going to do my very best. In addition to my iPhone, I'm also on my wife's 12-year-old MacBook. And you know what's funny? I mean, I haven't even sat down in front of this thing ever, actually, now that I think about it. But 12 years old, this thing has a fan. You'll probably hear it in the background. Like it spins rapidly if you have more than two tabs open and it moves at a snail's pace. If you want to talk about technology and progress, just go like open up your decade old electronics and see how it operates. It's crazy how different it is. Oh, man. That's a testament that it's actually still working. I can't believe it's still up and running that way. You look good. I mean, you're clear on your clear yeah. on the image. Yeah. Uh, last thing before we get to our fun facts of the day, um, I got I'm I'm t- I'm pairing up in a in a new club uh, match here in, in Ohio with a old former high school rival of the professor. I learned this yesterday. I had no right. idea. The golf world is a very small golf world. How about the name Nate, Nate Petrie? Petrie? I think it's Petrie. Nathan- Nathaniel Petrie. Nathaniel Petrie is an old rival of yours. Is yeah. that as oh, I understand? Yeah, Claymont. High school, um, great team. Him, Chris Ferguson. Uh, he was he he was technically a rival. Like he was a guy we did not like. Like he, like their team always had it out for us um, for whatever reason. So I mean, they'd cold shoulder us when we came down to their place. They'd try to play all these little games against us and all that that sort of stuff. Um, the other guy I mentioned, Chris Ferguson, he was a dear friend through high school for me. Awesome, awesome individual. And Nate's a good dude too. But Nate was one of those, just at the other school, you're like, I don't like him. Like, we might fight him because he just, I, I, yeah. I think he was, I think his words, and, and any any of our listeners would know this, you know, you can think about your high school golf team. You always had the team that you hated. There's always great rivalries and you had to beat a certain team. Well, yeah, that's what he said about you guys at New Philadelphia. He said, uh, the professor, Kevin Moore, Blake Sattler, Chris Miller. 
Yeah, we fucking hated those guys. I believe was his ass. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh man, that, now it's coming back to Scott Barkley was another guy on their team. Um, now, but deep down, like when you got through the high school, all all those guys. I mean, the three I mentioned, just great individuals, great guys, great golfers, right? And it's one of those you get once you get on their side of high school, like, and you play with each other, you're like, no, you're just a good dude. Like that was fun to like hate each other and go after each other's throats. And now we're sitting here and like we can put that aside. Um, it's fun how that works out. Yeah, yeah. Before we go too far down the Northeast Ohio uh, high school uh, rivalries and name games, I it, it was definitely uh, something when you reached out to play on Fridays. I thought about it, Professor. I think we might for twenty twenty four for the podcast. We might make a mandatory golf Friday rule for the for the uh, the podcast. I know you got I staff meetings and things you need to take care of, but I'm I'm thinking. It gets here's what it does. I think for this pod, it puts us in a mindset of playing golf, which is different than observing and talking about golf. Like I, I notice that when I get a, a Friday round on the books, you and I chat on Friday mornings, and and it gets me a little bit like I was sharper this morning thinking about our our discussion today, which is a rich one that I'm really excited to dive into. But uh, play more golf for every listener as well as our our two co-hosts of the bag drop. It's it just kind of like gets you in that mindset that is uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting mindset. Yeah, it gets you out of bed in the morning, right? That's right. That's right. Um, so before we get to the professor's fact of the day, a big thanks to our friends at Titleist uh, for sponsoring the podcast for the remainder of 2023. Uh, the professor, we got we're rounding down on our quest for the crown. So those that don't know, we can go into quest for the crown. Actually, that's for another episode. I think we've done it on prior episodes, but the Quest is our first uh, member-wide national, international competition where it doesn't matter where you work or live. You can play any golf course from any tee, and you can qualify your round for your team in Quest for the Crown. The winning team at the end of this month, which we're getting down to, we're halfway through the month of November, we're we're coming down the stretch. Uh, The winning team is going to end up with a full set of Titleist T-Series irons, the T-100s, T-150s, T-200s, or a hybrid set throughout the bag, which I believe you ended up with a bit of a hybrid. I did oh, not. Yeah. I'm an all-T-100 guy. But this is uh, – I'm telling you, people are revved up about it, and they are um, they're pushing towards the end. I was yesterday watching Slack. There's a One of the members is in Minnesota. They got a bunch of snow already. He's already looking at the calendar when it's going to melt so he can post this very last round and hopefully get his team, you know, to the winner's circle. So uh, it's it's really kind of unique contest, and it's awesome that our grand prize presented by Titleist is going to be these T-Series irons. So excited for those guys to go through the uh, the fitting process when they get to it. Yeah, for anybody following the quarterly reports out there, you'll notice that Titleist and Akushnet had a nice little, nice little quarter, which is just a testament to – They've stepped up their games, right? With the most the most recent iron set, they'd kind of disappeared for a while from the scene in terms of having a new iron product out. But they put a lot of a lot of work into it. Um, so the team the team that brings home and gets to go through that fitting, that's going to be a, a real treat for them. Numbers don't lie. The professor's a data guy. He loves the markets, you know. And you're right. They they've had a, a nice um, run, and it uh, it's it's definitely you know one thing that that we didn't anticipate professors right now as it currently stands on the quest for crown leaderboard there is a tie at the top uh oh which so does it mean eight we did get not it? Spe- if there's a tie all eight get it is that how you- 
we might we might try check, to put in check the footnotes in, with the uh, contract with Tylist. Ask our friends at Tylist to bail us out on this one. But the stable for points. I mean, I don't think it occurred to us as the captains of New Club. You know, they they vote on these things. We talk about it. And I don't think it occurred to any of us that if you have four pe- person teams playing Stableford over a multitude of rounds over the course of the year, how, you know, could there potentially be a tie? We just thought it was so un- unprobable that we didn't really put a spec- specify what would happen in a tie. So I, we, we were throwing out all kinds of ideas from, you know, uh, the, 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 I don't know. I don't know. There was a, there was a playoff idea where like, virtually we're going to have two cameras recording both people in different locations and you got to you got to nominate one player from your team to do the final match i i don't know man it's it's uh, there's a lot of ideas but i'm hoping that you know we still got 15 days left that this is not going to end in a tie do you think tgl would let us use one of their studios maybe the, uh... <laughs> yes okay so breaking news uh for the first Tuesday, Monday night affair for TGL is going to be new club quest for the crown deciding champion. And each guy gets to pick a player. Each you get to, you know, if you want the bullfrogs from Boston on your side, you can pick them. If you want the LA crusaders or whatever the heck their name is, LA golf club, you can pick them and, and go uh, hash it out for your title T series irons. I like that. I like that professor. Let's put in some calls to our, our friends at uh, the PGA tour. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what the Atlanta team name is. That's uh, that's how much I've been paying attention to it. So it's been a while. Do you have a fun fact for us before we dive into today's discussion? I don't even think we've alluded to what today's discussion is, but uh, I'm sure our, our podcast title can can do that for yeah, us. Yeah, we're not even doing great advertising since we're talking about you know what we got going on in the, the coming year. But I do have a fun fact today. It's a little bit of, maybe of a long one, so so bear with me. But it's a book I've been reading recently. It's called After the uh, Ivory Ta- uh, Tower Falls by Will Bunch. Fascinating book. Um, I actually was in it was, I was when I was in DC. I just walked into a bookstore in Alexandria and just saw it sitting there. I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. And what it's about is it's a it's the history of universities from the perspective of evolutions in access and financing and really how that's contributed to the political and social divisiveness we see in the U.S. today, culminating with the election of Donald Trump as well as the insurrection event and that sort of stuff. So that's the the, the premise of the book is tracing through the history of universities and how it's ultimately led to or helped contribute to that. Um, but the fun fact of this, so initially universities started as elitist. I mean, that's yeah, I think everybody probably knows that or could have predicted that it was for the elites. University study was exclusively for the elites. But there was a huge change post-World War II that most people probably are familiar with. The GI Bill came along, right? And the GI Bill was post-World War II. As we have all these veterans coming back from World War II, how are we going to help them re-embed back into society? Let's pay for them to go to college. So that was completely federally supported, send veterans to uh, back to higher education. Um, And then that push to send people to higher education remained up to through the space race and during the space race there was an increase push too right all of a sudden um the russians are going to beat us you know not only to space but really it was less about space and more about just missiles um right like that was the fear that really pushed it um and so it was like okay we need to get more people in the higher education and continue pushing that because this is you know we've seen this as good for the country but what they did rather than a gi bill like a grant approach House conservatives actually pushed for a loan program. And this was a major reaction to, to quote-unquote socialism, right? That a, a grant program would be a form of socialism, so we need to create a loan program. So that occurred during the space race. We moved, transitioned from a grant program to a loan program for higher education. 
Now, in the short term, we still had awesome growth, you know, of higher education and economic prosperity in the United States. But this set issues up for down the road. So this sort of loan program continued to grow. But there was still fight for universal public education, higher education at the time. But not only the, the quote-unquote scare of socialism, but also Southern late lawmakers during this time opposed any federal dollars that would support black students to go to higher education. Um, so you had kind of a two-fronted fight of a fight against socialism and a fight against any federal um, monies that would support black students that that you can imagine as a snowball effect. And then the hippie movement comes along and you have a continued sort of reaction against conservative government versus socially liberal people that just led us down the road of actually rather than um, higher education becoming a public good, kind of circled back becoming less accessible, more for elites. And then having the byproduct of people taking on loans and creating disparity of uh, people getting sacked with loans and that sort of stuff. So the author then paints a picture of like the next 30 to 40 years and how that kept growing and growing and growing in a way that created social and political divide. Um, but anyways, it goes back to the scare of socialism and all that <laughs> has been around for a long time. Um, but then also in terms of, you know, this relates to the fun fact of the day around the color of law. You had a big push by Southern lawmakers uh, that stopped higher education as a public good that was really centered around keeping black students out of the university. Wow. A fun fact that touches on higher ed, GI Bill, socialism, racism, and, uh, and, and the fear of all of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's a full encompassing one. That's pretty heady. Yeah. The, it, I know you like the history of our institutions. If you really got time to dive into any of them. I mean, I think the one I've dove into most is, is golf yeah. <laughs> personally, because of the structure of new club and the structure of country clubs in America versus Scotland and Ireland. It's, it's, follows very kind of similar trend where you talk about the nonprofit status of why ours were set up this way. They're obviously built to be elitist. It's, there's a lot of parallels to what you just shared with us on the golf world. Yeah, and you hit those critical points where decisions can be made and it can go to different ways, right, in terms of becoming, obviously at some point this for the Scots, it was a public good, public service, and obviously in the United States, it went the opposite way. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, gosh, it's actually a decent transition on a fun fact too. I mean, bringing up the elements of socialism, maybe the, the greatest socialist architect of all time is the feature of our first picture of 2024, the winter meeting out in California, Alistair McKenzie, right? He was, I don't know, was he a public socialist? I know he was best friends with Robert Hunter, but yeah, I don't he know. was a very prominent, uh, wealthy socialist. But um, I, I don't know about a McKenzie if that was ever public. I mean, you read his books and it's not, it's pretty obvious, but I don't know if at the time in the 1920s and 30s, he was kind of uh, forward in that manner. I bet you, I'm guessing not. I don't feel like that would have helped business uh, in, in, for him, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Because you think we, uh, and I'm, I've am i never deeped of McKenzie in terms of reading all of his writings. I've read his golf writings. I'm not familiar. Like you would think if he was vocal about it, he would have, because he was a prolific writer or just a good writer, he would have wrote about it, right? Because that was what you did during that time, especially yeah, like you wrote. So you think if he would have been a full conviction, public facing figure for that movement, he would have had some writings on it. But, you know, he did. I mean, reading his writings, even on golf, it's kind of clear that that's a, an underpinning of his. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, that does, I mean, that's my transition for, uh, what do I want to talk about today, which is the fixtures for 2024. You know, I think it's, it's funny, like over the course of the year, you and I've always reflected on fixtures, but I don't think we do a good job of 
uh, kind of sharing uh, what's awesome about these for both members that are listening. So if you're a member of New Club listening, you're probably already in the boat of like, which fixtures am I going to go to? I can't make it to everything, but I want to go to one of the New Club fixtures. And um, and then if you're just a, a listener of the pod, like we want to highlight great golf, golf great golf courses, great golf people. And that's kind of what we do with our, our fixtures is it's not just about, um, who, who gets to go, meaning awesome members of new club, but it also means like, where do we go? Where do we want to support? And where are the places that, you know, new club wants to hang their hat for a couple of days. And it's places that speak to us and places that, you know, our captains have voted upon and got excited about, got me excited about. Um, and, and that's why we head there. So I think what today is about is kind of running through our uh, list of fixtures, of, of which there's there's five every year. And then in every other year, similar to like a Ryder Cup, we have an international edition. So we can touch, if there's time, we can ch- touch on the uh, the spring international trip of 2025 to the Heathlands and Southeast Coast in England. But I think what, Professor, I, you and I can focus on today is just the first of the five fixtures of 2025. And uh, and I think the, the, it'll be a media conversation. This will be fun. Yeah. Well, before we dive into the specifics, because I mean, this first one we're going to talk about, you know, the courses of Alistair McKenzie, I think, you know, when that hit the, 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 the webs, the interwebs, Slack went nuts, right? That was a big one. Before we get in there, could you just comment for a minute on just the idea of fixtures? Because I think a lot of people just hear fixtures and you know, we're going to talk about these awesome places we go and just think of them as golf trips. But that's not where fixture comes from, right? There's a Scottish heritage there that I think is very important that these these fixtures are more than just going to golf trips to cool places with cool courses. But there's something even more special about them that ties to the Scottish yeah. competition idea, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, for those that don't know the term fixture, which most don't, honestly, when we're talking to new members on phone calls, like they're like, what are these fixtures? What is that? And, and it makes sense. And I think what we um, kind of the, the easy answer is there, there are majors, you know, they're probably our, our biggest and most um, uh, sought after events. They're travel based, they're multi-day, multi-nights. But to bring it back to your question on what the history of it is, you know, New Club is inspired and in a variety of ways modeled after uh, the golf societies of Scotland and Ireland. Uh, probably England and Wales as well, but we just didn't spend time with those. So we always say like the ones that inspired us are the Lahinches and the, um, the, the little onesie twosie Ireland golf societies, the new golf club in St. Andrews, the Thistle club. Like these are the, 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 the honorable company of Edinburgh golfers. Like these are the places in the history that we looked to for our model to make American golf more exciting. Cause that's really it. If we could get 10% of the way that they enjoy the game, to the U.S., we'd be better. We, we'd be much better off. And so, the uh, the the premise on the fixtures is they have fixtures, and they call. And we even took a couple of the names, right? The the spring meeting, the winter meeting. Um, theirs are typically just four meetings, and they're a combination of I'd say three things. One is the competition. People want to win the meetings. Uh, they they get together the most number of their members. And again, I'm talking about. Are okay, yeah. Rub it in. Point to your trophies of spring meeting pass. Very cool. Um, but the, the over there, it's it's the competition, it's uh, the camaraderie of up getting a big group of members together. They do discuss club business, so there is an actual meeting that takes place at some point. 
Um, but then there's uh, more of a broad dinner, drinks, socializing around those seasons. And and so, you know, it's not their club championships. It's not their uh, 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 team versus team or club versus club type of thing. It's their club and their uh, uh, celebration each each season. So the, the, the term fixture comes to being fixed to a season. And so we took that and we created R5, um, which the four are the winter meeting, the spring meeting, the summer medal, the fall founders cup. And then the fifth is our pilgrimage that happens every single year to the home of golf in St. Andrews. Um, plus that six, which happens every other year, the, uh, the international, which goes to a variety of places around the globe. But the, uh, uh, for us, Kevin, I think, and you and I talked about this back in the day about structuring this and like what makes sense and, and Mark as well. What made sense for new club is like, well, you could do this per chapter. You could have your seasonal meetings per chapter. We did, we do run in the issue of a short season in Chicago and our Northern folks. So um, that wasn't always doable unless you wanted to go indoors, which is totally cool. And we do that all the time. But I think what we liked better around if we're going to go the fixture route, what if new club as a whole, meaning Atlanta, Chicago, all national members had the same fixtures and we treated those as our trips. We treated those as, you know, get away from everyday life, spend two to three days at a phenomenal series of golf courses and, and have an opening dinner and a closing dinner. So every one of our, um, our fixtures has both of those two things, an opening dinner where everybody greets each other. We do pairings for the competition. We, you know, there's a bunch of, uh, of, of uh, trash talk and, and banter. And then at the end we do a closing meeting, which is obviously dishing out awards, bragging rights, and, and a lot more toasts. Um, you know, people toasting to, to each other and to the, uh, the competition, to the year, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I, I think it is based in the history of Scotland, but I think what we've taken is the idea of fixtures and applied it to, well, what is a golf club without real estate with multiple chapters in the U.S.? How do we make it our own? And so that's where, where it all, all has come from. And I, I will say this, and, and we'll dive into uh, these. It really has become, you know, you start something early on. These are so anticipated. These now have history of their own. People know who wins the Founders Cup. And the next year, they're like already working to get on their calendars so that they can win that cup back. The the spring meeting, people have known what the identity of the spring meeting is. And that's the one that I guess you would compare to our masters. Well, we'll get to it, uh, where you're going to a, just one of the most fun places in the world for golf, Sweetens Cove, every single year. And so I think there's identities to each of them. And, and that's been really cool to see develop. Yeah, I think that's the key there, right? The the camaraderie that gets built over the competition is special about them. But the fact there is an identity, it's not just a buddy's trip to, to a place, right? Like the fixture stands on its own and people come in and out of it. Um, but it means something, right? It means something for the society, which is, is uh, I think, just makes them stand out, makes them special. And, you know, it's why everybody looks looks forward to them. And speaking of that, right, We've let's start with the first one. So kick us off, winter meeting, the courses of Alam- Alistair McKenzie. Um, I'll, I'll just list the itinerary. Yeah. It's, it's all, like you said, people were very excited when it dropped, but, uh, the trip gets started and this is a longer one. One of the reasons this one is longer is that the degenerates that we are, we'd play sun up to sundown. Well, in the winter, you don't have a lot of sun. So we stretch this one out to, 
what is it, four days, five days? Five days. So it's a, yep. Yeah, it's a bit more of one, which is um, uh, unique, I would say, to our, our fixtures. But you'll hear why in a second. Green Hills Country Club, this place, I think, is uh, by all accounts one of the most unsung Mackenzie's around. Um, I'll save my comments. I'll just get through them. Green Hills Country Club out by SFO. Pasa Tiempo, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, only non-McKenzie on the trip right now is Presidio Golf Club. We got a day kind of aside from the winter meeting where we're going to do a fun uh, team versus team event there. Northwood Golf Club, the nine-holer in the Redwood Forest. And then uh, day five, Meadow Club is where we wrap things up. And again, I've heard that that might be, outside of Cypress Point, the best McKenzie in the U.S. So uh those that's the lineup i want to go to the um what i would call the flagship of that one pasta tiempo kevin i've never played pasta tiempo it has been always the top of my bucket list so i i'm excited i get to check this one off you you have so give me kind of your thoughts on what your first experience at top pasta oh man um i guess to give context i was out there for work um, and I just conveniently scheduled a bunch of golf um, while I was out there and work. Because when you go to San Francisco, like you play golf if you can. And I'd never been to Pasa Tiempo. So I booked for, got the first tee time out, like 7.30 a.m. as a single. Show up there, actually end up with Dan Nelson, um, who we've become good friends since this. But we're staying on the tee, 7.30, number 10. You can't even see. It's still dark. And they're like, all right, go on out there. So we go play, have a great day. All that is to be said, what, what's striking about Pasa Tiempo, I think, well, there's several things that are striking. The course is obviously stands on its own, but they have the public model, the public-private model, right? They they embrace that and they use that. So they gouged us. I'm an out-of-stater. I paid my 300 bucks or whatever it was, right? And other people were paying 25 bucks to play. They do that. What, what year was that, by the way? Because it's up from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was 2018, 18, I think. Okay. Um, right when they were doing, they've done a bunch of renovations recently, right? They were actually in the middle of one. We had the front nine tee boxes on five of the holes were being renovated. So we actually didn't get to play the back boxes on several. But, you know, I haven't played many McKenzie courses. Um, but what st- struck me about Pasa Tiempo was the layering of the bunkering. Like that stood out to me with Pasa Tiempo. Just like there's a lot of bunkers, but not all of them in play, but they all layer with each other. And I think that stems from his military background. So like a bunker 100 yards short of the green somehow layers with the green side bunker. So when you're back teeing off, like they stack on each other. So that was one of the things that stood out. But then his just perfection, perfectionist use of every contour on the property and his way to incorporate in the, in the contours into greens, into fairways. like. Rather than like subverting the contours and moving around them or, you know, clearing them or whatever, it's like, nope, that little barranca is going to be right in the middle of the fairway and you're going to have to deal with it. Or, you know, the famous green there, the 16th green, like how many people would just shy it away from that piece of property? It's like, no, I'm going to throw a green right on there and this severe contoured green that's just, you wouldn't find anywhere else, at, at least in the United States, outside of a, a Rob Collins golf course. Um, it was his favorite. 16 was his favorite he ever built. He wrote that. Yeah, and it's just like you just see these things. It's that like, wow, they they don't build golf courses like this anymore. I think that was you know one of the things that stood out stood out about it for me. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the renovations they've had. The interesting thing about the scheduling of this was uh, 
it, it it had to happen exactly when it did for us to play Pasatiempo because we will be playing it between the completion of I can't I I, I could look this up I I don't I can't remember what nine I think it's the completion of the back nine will be renovated I believe and then uh, a cup in the front nine won't be and then a couple weeks later they start on the front nine so they've had nine holes open for for a while now. And and come this coming February, who are going to be the the like one of the few groups that is going to see a restored Mackenzie back nine by um, oh my gosh why am I big uh, Jim Urbina Jim Urbina um, who who is a, a Mackenzie nut and uh, and it's been cool to follow that prog- progress. But then we also get to see like what is that difference because you get to see the front side that's on not renovated yet. Um, which I'm kind of excited for. I think that would be kind of a, a different uh, way to, to to look at the golf course. How much Mackenzie have you played? Man, not as much as I probably as as crazy of a nut as I am. I so two goals I have my two favorite architect, architects. One's dead, one's living. It's Mackenzie and Rob Collins. And so the goal I have is I'm not going to be one of those top 100 chasers ever in my life. I just don't think I'm going to live that life, but. I am going to hopefully play every Rob Collins golf course and every um, uh, Alistair McKenzie golf course. So I'm not that far along now, you know, to be honest, I think, uh, I think here's where the love of McKenzie started. I can, I can pinpoint that very well. I always played well in college, Kevin, at Michigan's tournament. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. I was, I like, very very mediocre college golfer as you know but there's something about uh that golf course that always sat well with me and fit my eye and i just loved it i kind of got lost i wasn't thinking about competition i just loved the shots and uh again they could use a restoration and be incredible but you know that was one um the other is uh the the courses at beth page which one did he do there I, i'm blocking on the oh boy he did um Red, maybe. Did you red and black? I yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head. You got you to play red. those. I still haven't played a single Beth Page course. Um, yeah, you yeah. got to play. That was after my time at Akron because I played the uh, Tilling Hass sequence that we got to play. Yeah, and then and then where I remember, so those are like you know I wasn't an architecture student by any means on on that when I was playing in college, but where it where it was solidified for me. And I just knew that McKenzie was kind of that kindred spirit, uh, was the golf course at Lahinch. Mm-hmm. And, and my family is from that part of the world. I have a lot of spiritual connections. I would call it to that, uh, place, that city, that town, the, um, the golf course, the first superintendent, his last name was Considine. So it's like, I had all these weird things and this is before I paid attention to the name of the architect on the course. But I, I walked off my second round, my third round, my fourth round in college when I wasn't playing competitively, just over there being a student. And I said, this is the best golf course I may ever play. This is my favorite golf course I've ever played. And I finally asked, like, who built this? Alistair McKenzie. And and so since that day, I've always t- said, like, man, I got to get to Crystal Downs. I got to get to Cypress Point. I got to, yeah, I, I'd take an invite to Augusta. But McKenzie is the guy who, um, who I just, and then I started reading his books and, yeah. and even more so than playing his golf courses, reading his books, man, the guy was fiercely intelligent, was so uh, observational about society and people. 
And he really cared about, this is where I see the comparison of him and Rob Collins to tie together our winter meeting and spring meeting. They truly care about your feelings Mm -hmm. and emotions while playing a golf course. And I think a lot of architects probably do too, but I don't think to the degree that these two guys, and the reason I know that is because when you listen to Rob speak, and the words that he uses, he talks in those emotional tones and senses. And when you read Alistair McKenzie, he does the exact same thing. And and that's why I play golf. You know, I I, I play for an emotional connection, a spiritual connection, a, um, a a roller coaster of that is what I sign up for. And so I I love that they have that intention. And uh, and I get to chat. You know, hit a bunch of McKenzie courses on this trip with with our fellow new club members. And I think I want to make that point of like, I'm sharing this lifelong goal of seeing McKenzie courses. A lot of people on that trip have the exact same goal, which I think is one of the strengths of new club. It's like, could you imagine just like throwing this out there to a general golf membership or a golf club? Like, yeah, people would probably go, but they're going to go just to make swings. Like there's no deeper meaning behind a trip. And I think one thing I love about uh, actually two of our fixtures for 2024, um, kind of the, the bookends, right? The winter meeting and the fall founders cup, they both kind of have a little next layer of like, Hey, you like Alistair McKenzie golf courses. We're going to go see a bunch of them. You like Mike Strands golf courses. We're going to go see a bunch of them. And that's, that's cool to me because I, I think selfishly in the past, if I threw this out to my normal, you know, golf text group thread of like, hey, we're going to go to Northern California, we're going to drive around a little bit, and we're going to play McKenzie golf courses, they would be like, why are we, let's just go to, to Tempe and, and stay at, you know, uh, uh, Airbnb and play all the same golf courses. And that's cool, too. That's cool, too. Like, New Club does that as well. But these specific trips that are organized and motivated by like a connecting factor Mm -hmm. i think that is one of the uh one of the things that makes him special yeah yeah and with mckenzie right he's held up on the mount rushmore uh, of architects for sure and i think about anybody that is passionate about architecture would 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 agree with that but yeah like especially being a east coaster or northeast coaster one of the hardest to play like you just don't have because yeah like I mean, you're close to your Ohio State proximity, but you, hardly anybody would consider that a McKenzie anymore, right? Like you're not getting how much play. McKenzie you think? Yeah, Nicholas you're playing more. Care. You're playing more Coach Brown and and Jack when you're when you're down there. Um, and Michigan, yeah, you know, it's still it's got some of it left, um, more so than Ohio State for sure, but not not a lot. So it's one of those, you know, we all champion McKenzie is like maybe the greatest ever, but we don't get the opportunity to play them. So because like yeah, over in Europe tons of opportunity if you're over in the uk um to play his courses but here in the united states you got to be in certain regions and those that get to live out on that west coast in california they're right they're they're blessed with riches that they can you know assuming they have access to them uh they can play a whole lot of mckenzie courses and see a whole lot of his work so i know i know i know when that hit the when i hit the public sphere is like oh wow actually an opportunity to play a lot of mckenzie work in one concentrated trip is is unique um, and not something you know many golfers in most of the United States would ever get the chance to do. Yeah, and, and you know, outside of uh, Pasa, just because no, I mean, the way Mackenzie writes about Pasa in his readings, like you know, it's just he he, he once said, Kevin, it's the where I think I had this down. Um, it's as close to his native Scotland as American golf can get. 
is what he what he uh what he said and and he was talking about not just the golf course he was talking about from day one they always had a a club model that allowed for public access day one and i i don't know if that was his involvement or uh, marion hollis who you know she is in, enshrined in the golf hall of fame i mean marion hollis is she's i mean one of the best that ever did it but they they made it accessible and excellent they weren't you know they knew they could do both because Mackenzie showed what was done at his all Woodley golf club was his home club in the UK. And uh, obviously the old course with always being accessible. I think they, they knew that at their core. And so he, he wrote beautifully about that. And I, I think that's one big reason I feel so strongly about that for American golf, that it is a bit of a pilgrimage for me personally. And I know there's other members on this trip already signed up that um, feel the same way. Yeah, you get with that trip. You're going to get not only great golf and great com- camaraderie with the group, but also a little historical journey to you know if you want to embrace that and really just. I, think, I, I would suggest that to everybody at Pasa Tiempo, you know, walk through that clubhouse and sit down outside and just think about you know Mackenzie there um, with Holland's building that and thinking through that and what the make sure you check out the house on the uh, just left of the seventh hole, which is with the trees that they brought up for the protect the different holes running back and forth. Actually, the sixth hole, sorry. Um, it's tight. You might actually put one in the back, in the former backyard or the backyard of uh, Mr. McKenzie, so, or Dr. McKenzie, yeah. I should say. Doctor, the good doctor. Uh, do you think he'd have a sign up in his yard, like golf balls, two bucks, and have a little bowl out I, there? I think he'd be one of the ones that would fake his uh, own death, right? You walk up and there's just an old man laying face down in the yard with the golf ball beside him. I, I feel like he'd be one to, to pull that over on a few people and then explain you, to him how the sense. hole should actually be played. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, dickhead, you're not supposed to take that angle. That's not, not to that pin. Um, did you play Northwood Golf Club? Did not. No, no. Um, I drove near it, um, but I had to go give it, I was giving a talk up in, um, up in wine country at uh, Sonoma state. Um, so did not, did not get to play it. I've, uh, this place, I mean, it's like, what can you say? It's a nine hole golf course built in the redwood forest. I think one thing I thought about with this is like, could you imagine today's day and age? So the, the, the history of it is the Bohemian club, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, elite group of uh i don't know if they're close to a cult or not i don't know the history of bohemian club but it seems very religious based i think is what it what they were um and if they're still around like awesome i'm not i'm not sure but they built this thing and they got mckenzie to do it for them and i mean think about in building it in the redwood forest like the ecology and environmentalists they would never permit that today you know and it's like and i think what um What's true about that is they they shouldn't, right? We need to protect the redwood forest. But I think additionally, it's like, man, that's the beauty of golf is you get lost in nature. And and what better place to to get lost than a redwood forest with these towering redwoods hundreds of feet in the air? Like I, I we're gonna play it twice when we're there, and mm. I'm uh, that's actually on President's Day, so I think that'll also be a, uh, you know, I know it's scruffy. I know it's hard to get light in there to to grow grass really well. So I don't think the conditions are like, you know, blow your socks off. But uh, who cares? Like, I, I think outside of that, what's so fascinating to me is like, I'm as excited for that as I am for some of these other private clubs mm-hmm. like Green Hills, the Meadow Club, uh, even though they're, you know, multiples of uh, a price point and an experience, right, with, with conditioning. Um, I'm really excited to see Northwood too. 
Yeah, there's probably going to be something spiritual about walking in those trees. I mean, you see some of the pictures too. During, depending on what day you're there, and that light's kind of coming through the trees. Um, it's, or, I mean, how many how many other places could give you that experience? Uh, off the top of my head, I can't really name any. Last Mackenzie on the trip, Meadow Club. What do you know about it? I know I was. Oh, they held. A mid-am qualifier, or I think it was the mid-am qualifier, USAM qualifier, they're supposed to hold. I was signed up for it, and then that was COVID canceled, I believe, is was there. And I was all set no to go do a whole trip out there and all that. I think actually um, our buddy Tron Carter was maybe going to do go out there as well. Like it was a whole group and got canceled, whatever. So uh, yeah, I'm a little little bitter um, about that one because I've, from the people I, I trust and respect that have talked about it, like you said, there's an argument for it being one of the best courses in California, especially if you remove Cypress. You might even put it as the next best course or the next best McKenzie, at least, in the state. Um, and it's one of those possibly due to its exclusivity and not being in the forefront in terms of you know holding events and that, that just not many people know about it. Uh, it's supposed to be really, really, really good. I, stare, I salivate over the aerials. About once every other month. Guy we had on the podcast a couple of years ago, architect Mike DeVries was the guy who he, I remember him saying that it was he was so in like he just needed to get in and and the club like whatever the process was and I think it might have been around the 2008 timeframe where they had to slow things down. He said he spent 11 years having to research. And and just keep looking at pictures of, of of everything, you know, the of the original Mackenzie before he could actually restore it. So he was like, "Man, I was like a caged animal, ready to just let me out," because he saw how good it could be. And and by all accounts, like you said, that was like eleven. I mean, he spent eleven years on it. It was quite a while ago, but um, it's restored to to one of Mackenzie's greatest masterpieces, you know, and. It's, uh, I think it's cool, a membership too. Actually, one of our, shout out Thomas Holler, who is uh, now doing some work for a new club. He's one of our first ever young pollinator members, uh, came out of Canal Shores, Evanston, Illinois. Great kid, awesome dude now. Uh, he's in the PGM program. And Thomas was an intern there this past summer. And I remember talking to him about our trip and he was so excited that we were get, we were including Meadow Club on our, our departure day. He was like not only is the course that good the membership is too Hmm. and it's it's in a really cool part of the country fairfax i guess is a little bit of a former hippie town or maybe like Mm -hmm. you know you know uh uh, one of those ones up the up from san francisco where a lot of the the retirees probably ended up and he just said that the membership kind of gets it it's a pretty laid back uh vibe but they're very proud of their golf course and um very cool and thank you to them for sharing sharing it with people like us well, I think knowing DeVries had his hand on it, right? I, I have the utmost respect for him. And you see what he's done at places like Kingsley. Uh, and so his ability to capture Mackenzie and bring it back is someone I would trust. So I think that makes it even more special that you're going to get to play something that you know is, is well, however you want to describe it, close to what Mackenzie intended or had, whatever language you want to put on that. He DeVries is one of the ones I would trust to be like, okay, like this is going to be as close as I can get in today's modern era to playing something that Mackenzie would build uh, or had built um, versus, you know, some of the other ones we've already mentioned, like Ohio State, that, that have just been butchered. 
you know, I, I wanted to, I'm going to share, well, there's so many McKenzie quotes that I've written down over the years, but I'm just going to share this one, which is a popular one, but I think it, it like, it could end us on, on wrap us up on this winter meeting trip. One of the reasons why I, a medical man decided to give up medicine was a firm conviction of the extraordinary influence on the health of pleasurable excitement, especially when combined with fresh air and exercise. How frequently have I, with great difficulty, persuaded patients who were never off my doorsteps to take up golf, and how rarely, if ever, I have seen them in my consulting room again. I, 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 I read that, and I wrote that down for our, our release of this stuff right after I talked to John Pachorek. If you're listening to the podcast, you heard the story of John Pachorek setting a goal to carry his own bag for 18 holes at Carnoustie. And he achieved that. And then the very next week, he won our net club championship in Chicago. People don't, I, I, nobody thinks of golf first as the exercise in health. I mean, I think some do, but it, it, it that quote kind of speaks a little bit to the cart epidemic in our country. And uh, I even saw it today, man, like we're, we're riding and it's 50 degrees outside and it's a beautiful fall day. And it's like, our American culture's got it backwards. Like you are, you are, you know, shortening your life. Like just like you, this is a good element. And I, and again, you always have to preface this. I'm obviously not talking about people that need a card to play the game of golf. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is there is a intrinsic benefit in the game of your mental health, your, your physical health, and your spiritual health, and and you're robbing yourself if you fill it with booze and carts and and gambling. Like it's just not that. It doesn't have to be that. And I think all of the profit centers in our country have told us that it is, and that sucks. But Mackenzie, Mackenzie knew there was another way, as many of our Scottish friends do, and English friends, and, and Irish friends do. And, and he he held true to that. And all of his courses were built to walk. And you know they probably didn't have carts around in 1930, but I, I love sharing that because it uh, it gets me more excited to walk those golf courses. Yeah, you probably said that, what, 100 years ago? And now that we're at a few decades of legitimate research on longevity, we're circling back to like diet and that not being all that important relative to just exercise and mission, right? Exercise and vitality in terms of like who you are as a person and, and doing stuff that you love. And yeah, walking a golf course, <laughs> nothing, you know, that, that captures that. Any other thoughts on the winter meeting before we move on? I'm just jealous of everybody that's going to get to go out there because I also love. I mean, I'm a, I'm a professor, so you put me on the West Coast in San Francisco, and I'm a, I'm a pretty happy person. I'd be hanging out and go, jumping over to Berkeley and doing all those sorts of things. So it's probably good I'm not At, on there. I'd get, I'd probably get us in trouble um, with a quote unquote socialism or something. <laughs> you do have to be careful. Yeah, you, you, you're really on that block today. My God. Um, the uh we're 47 minutes in and we've done one of five fixtures so uh, i kind of anticipated this being a multi-parter kevin so we're just tease that out right now yeah probably gonna do that because we can't shortchange the next one no that's but that's good to it i think let's try to include that on 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 here the spring meeting is headed back to sweetens cove for the last weekend in april i have that right here let me pull it up what is that april we got April 26th and 27th, I believe. There you go. That's it. I didn't pull up quick enough on this old behemoth of a computer. But uh, yeah, that's exactly, exactly right. I mean, this is it's crazy to think. I think we only skipped the COVID year. 
And every other year we've been back to Sweeten's Cove for this one. And I said on the top of our intro, you know, it's kind of become our masters in a way where everybody like it is the place that you can go back to again and again and again and and still always enjoy yourself a destination nine hole golf course. And that's crazy. You know, like like people don't understand that until they actually go there. I was texting uh, yesterday with Gary Williams Mm -hmm. of another, you know, Gary was golf channel. He's on this pod earlier in the year. He had his first Sweetens Cove experience and like so many before him, he's like, place has to be overhyped, right? Has to. There's no way this must be some internet conspiracy. It must be Instagram trolls. Like what can't be this good. And he's like, it is that good. That is awesome. And, uh, and so I told him, Hey, join us in, in April if you want to come back for it. And, and so a lot of our, uh, I just want to, you know, include a thanks here. I know we got a lot of Sweetens listeners and, um, uh, Matt Adamski, Rob Collins, all the owners, like that support they've given us through good times and bad of, Hey, we got to cut back on outside groups. We got members, we got, well, quietly i can't say sorry uh they have ambassadors supporters whatever yeah there it is ambassadors supporters people that that carry the the spirit of of sweetens everywhere they go and they have owners and they have uh, a a a day pass you know system that sells out immediately as they get released and people are always chomping at the bit for them to continually every year make space for us for a new club not only one day but two days let us settle in let us have some houses around the property let people really relax let their hair down and take it in uh also mitigate if there's a rough weather day <laughs> that always helps i can't say enough about it and you've been integral in that professor uh all, all the people at sweetens have it it's just it's one of the things that makes the spring meeting it's its identity, right, for us is the combination of every single year being able to rely on that and being at a place like Sweden's Cove. Is there a more genuine group of people than, you know, thinking of Rob and Adamski, Colt, the the whole crew? Is there John um, Reif? Uh, I mean, is there is there a more genuine group out there? Not, come across? not in golf. Not in golf. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you there. It's kind of like there's – there's a directness too, uh, especially with the Tamsky. I mean, there's such like a, a no bullshit, um, do what feels right, but here are our expectations kind of deal. Mm. And, and, uh, it's very, um, liberating because you go there and all of our members are able to be comfortable and really enjoy themselves. So what's, you know, now that we've been there several times and, and I think this is the message about Sweden's, you know, you want to come back and every time you come back, you keep wanting to come back and, we could, you know, wax on about that over and over and over. But now that you've been there several times, what stands out to you when you go back? Like, are you seeing something new? Like, what is it that does actually make you feel when you, for me, when I pull into the property, it's like the first time I've ever been there every time, right? Like, what is it to you that makes it that way? Yeah, uh, well, there's a couple ways I could go with that. I think... I'll, I'll dive into the golf itself. So the, the shots you hit and where this was cemented for me was, I know you couldn't make it, but I did the hundred hole hike last June mm-hmm. in blistering heat, uh, marching a hundred holes around that place. And, you know, for us to get in a hundred holes, he had to kind of set some tees up a little, I don't want to say easier, but just easier on the walk for certain, right? Just making it much more tee to green than in that place could be. Cause you got, 
endless options and variety of holes that you could play there. But um, when, when I played to, you know, two pins, it was, it was kind of the, the traditional two pins, but the tees were the same tee each time just to keep people moving, keep it rolling. I, I just started to realize like how much a different angle changes the entirety of the shot and playing you would think a hundred times around uh, going a hundred holds you would hit a lot of the exact same shots but the slightest of angles to those those greens the the respect for those greens um has has only grown and and just the slightest of angle change really does make me play an entirely different shot and i think that's what i uh that's what fires my imagination while I'm there. Like I, I always told you my first visit, it, it kind of broke me. Like uh, it was the combination of, I think th- those greens and, and uh, the, the Bermuda that really like, you know, any Northern golfer has to adjust to Bermuda, but it really was like, wait, what's going on? Like, I can't get this. I can't get this in my system. I can't get it in my process, you know, to play well. And it took me a couple loops around to kind of realize that, well, that's because you're, you're forcing a square peg in a round hole here, brother. Like every shot is going to require something a little different. So just open up to that, open up to being more creative here. Don't, don't try to, you know, play golf swing, play golf. And that's what I love is there's no part of me that feels I go out to sweet and then I start to like, you know, want to know where my positions are or want to like, no, every shot is kind of like, all right, well, with that slope, if I recall correctly, I think to that pin with that slope, I'm going to bring this in left to right. or I'm going to bring it in right to left. or I'm going to try to get it. I can't make that putt from down there. I know. So I'm going to try to get it on this side because that side. And so like, I, I think that's a long answer to your question, but I, uh, on the golf specifically, that's what's grown uh, in my appreciation. Yeah, I think you're spot on there in terms of every shot makes you think. You know, I've been up there, I don't know how many times now, and still every time I go, every shot makes me think and figure something out. But I mean, separate of the golf, I think too, when like what makes it special every time you come back, you know, I don't know, maybe I've been there 50, 100 times, whatever. It's every time I pull in, I know the type of people I'm going to be around. And that includes obviously Adamski, Rob. I've got some dear friends up there, Trey, Seth, John Allen, Jim. I go through, you know, that whole crew, the Sweetens OGs and all that, like that, but not only them, like they're my friends. And so I'd get that wherever I'm with them. Like I'm going to have that kinship, but just the other people that are there too, right? Like there's something about that place that just brings out the right form of golf and what golf is meant to be. Um, right. You just pull in and like you, you, you remove all the veneer, all the bullshit just gets stripped away. And it's like, we're here to play golf. That's what we're here to do. We're here to play golf, to consume golf, to talk golf, to hang out, to just cut loose. Like, and that's what it's all about. And you don't have to worry about anything else. And, and to me, that brings out the best in people. Right? I think even you could probably tie that back to the health, the 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 health uh, comment by Mackenzie. Like something about when you strip all that away, what people feel or how people feel, and then how they behave and just. Their spirit just gets lifted to a place that other places don't do. So I think for me, every time I pull in that parking lot, like that's what I get most excited about. It's like I can't wait to just get out and talk to the other people that are there, especially the first timers, um, because you see people in a way you aren't going to see them anywhere else. Like there's nowhere else. I mean, and I'm talking even up old course, North Barrick, like Barrick, the um, you the other places I've been that are like the best places in the world. 
I've never seen a golf course bring out of people what Sweden's Cove does. Um, and that happens every time there. And it's just, it's, it's special. I don't have a better word than that. It's just, it truly is special. Yeah. And, and that's why people have always kind of taken to the internet. I think back to Gary's comments of like, well, uh, I, I had to say something like people, um, it, it is so different, I think, from your everyday golf that uh, that people have blogged about it and you know gone to the internet and continue to every time a first timer goes and long timers like you. I mean, um, the pe- the people is definitely it. And I think the other thing, if you think about, and I know this is intentional from Rob's standpoint of the how many courses is there even the ability to do the the gangsum right? The yeah. the that's we just finished dinner that's head back out before sunset and which by the way sequatchie valley has some of the most gorgeous sunsets i've ever seen with my own eyes and i mm-hmm. truly mean that the way the light just kind of ricochets through that valley and the and you see all the contours of the golf course like that i get chills even just talking about it like that is a sight i look i know in two days i'm going to get at least one sunset down there and i always snap a couple pics and just try to take that in but you add on top of that a golf course that allows you to play with a multitude of people at the same time, cross country, ex- exploring, you know, kind of like embracing our ancestral roots of just heading out there and returning back. You know, you always kind of see home, you always see the shed, you always see the pavilion, mm-hmm. and we're just going out and it's and it's getting dark and we don't know where we're going, but we're hunting birdies and we're going to make some swings. And there's something so... I'm going to use it again, like ancestral about yeah. that, that I feel at the old course that I also feel at Sweetens. And I can't tell you how many times, I mean, you know this more than anybody, but the conversations in those groups, as you turn left to right and you're waiting for your turn to hit and, and it's the, the cadence of the game, just marching along. It, it isn't always about golf, man. I've, mm-hmm. I've had some of the deepest conversations with, um, the fellow new club members around that place at that hour, at that time. And, uh, it's, it's unique in that fashion. And when you come out of there, it's almost like, it's almost like the Valley too is protecting you from the rest of the world. I I hate Mm -hmm. the term escape, uh, for, for golf. I really do. I just think it's like, what are you running from? It's like, well, this game Mm -hmm. isn't there to run from anything. It's, it should connect you if anything else, but there is this, this, feeling while you're there that it's the only place on earth and and so i i just uh yeah god um yeah can we go can we just can we just go yeah can we do like a a spring meeting uh preview heck yeah it makes me just want to go jump in my car and be like hey bye babe i'm out for this weekend i'm going up to chattanooga no but like yeah to your point about the, the the journey the walk the like ancestral nature too right one of the coolest things like you're a group of eight or 10. You see this twosome off to the side and they're kind of staring. He's put their first time and it's like, what, what are these guys doing? They're just like walking across like random. And if you just, hey, hey guys, come on over, come join us, right? And then you just get this random twosome you've never met before. And all of a sudden they're, your pack has grown from eight to 10, right? And now you're just on this march together. And yeah, it's just, yeah, like you said, escape's the wrong word because it, it but it does, it like it resets you or like it's stripped, again, strips away all the other stuff so you can actually have presence and clarity, right? You can be present in the moment and you can think about those other things in your life. Like I've been up there numerous times, my member guest partner, Chris Miller, um, although we lost our flight this year. So 
you know, he might. I be, heard. Yeah, I, I wasn't so, going to bring it up. Yeah, they, they might, he might be on the chopping <laughs> block. Um, no, like the conversations we've had on there about life in the and during the member guests, right? Of things he's going through, or I'm going through, or things we're going to be going through, our state of our lives, of our dads, those sorts of things. You know, Sweden's Cove helped, or the Valley, or whatever helps strip away all the noise in life to really let you be present and focus on the important stuff. Um, and you realize what is important and what's not, right? The important stuff is the stuff that lets you come to a place like that and be with other people. And the unimportant stuff is the stuff that pulls you away from it and keeps you from, you know, has you saying no to those things and those truly transformative experiences. I mean, it, it's crazy, right? How many golf courses would you put in the same category as transformative experience, right? Like, and somehow that place does that for everybody writes the same article. This is a joke now, right? Gary even probably think said it in his article, like multiple people have said it, like we're all writing the same article when we come back and make our blog posts. And that's just, a, that's not a, that's not a criticism of Sweetens Cove. That is a, 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 that is a compliment to it, right? Because it's doing that for so many different people. What, what do you think it is? Cause I, I, in the golf circles that you and I run and in the industry, people, talk about the model of sweetens and they talk about the replication of sweetens in other places and we're past the like does this work like it clearly it clearly has worked very well and it's a model that could but why why do you why do you think we haven't seen any other uh sweetens codes you know because there's not there's, yeah there really is there's there's like i would say there's the community golf courses that have popped up on the public access side and then there's some really good you know, private clubs, but there's nothing even close to what we're talking about here. Yeah. I, I've unfortunately thought a ton about this just because of my love for Sweetens Cove and then love for, or a desire for American golf to have more places like Sweetens Cove. And I think like anything great is organic, right? Like, so uh, just take TGL, like I'm skeptical of TGL because they're forcing, forcing something to be popular right out of the gate, right? Like, Hey, we're going to put this out and this needs to attract 5 million views. Like that's not organic at all. The most popular thing started from nothing, right? The NFL, you got to go back, I don't know, however many years, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years and look at the evolution. And you had two leagues that grew into one right now. Now it's a powerhouse, but that's after 50 years, 60, 70 years of hard work. And there's a whole group of things that come together. The, the book I'm reading about universities, right? Like it's, it's put in an arc of how this has contributed to the social divide and American political divide, but it's not the only piece. There's a billion other contributing factors. Sweetens Cove, same way, right? Why is it great? Well, is it the golf course? Golf courses, I'll keep my, uh, I'll keep the French out of this, amazing, like top notch. Is it the people? The people are amazing. Is it the sort of lack of rules, but some constraints there, that's special and unique, right? Is it the initial people that were there and then singing its praises? Yeah. Is it Rob? Just Rob and the direction and like him as a leader within that group and like, that's a contributor. Like all of these different things are why sweetened. Is it Trey Moon and John Allen and Jim Hartzell, right? They're a huge factor in that. The fact that they're there. Patrick Boyd, we haven't brought up his name yet, right? It might be the most important name <laughs> in all those names that we put There's there. There's only right? one Patrick Boyd, too. Yeah, We're not like, going to replicate Patrick Boyd. Like, all of these things came together to make something special, and it came together organically. Never was forced. Never was like, 
never was like, oh, in 2023, this is what Sweden's Cove is going to be, right? That was never the intention. So I think, can another Sweden's Cove happen? No, not another Sweden's Cove, but another something in its spirit could happen. And that's going to have to look different. It's going to have to, it's going to have its own organic nature based on the people that are doing it, right? If it's you, you know, buying Good Park as new club's first headquarters and like figuring out what does that even look like and then working with people like me, Kent Monas, Rob to come and do something, like it's going to look a little bit different, right? But maybe it's going to have similar spirit to Sweden's Cove. I think that's, that's the difference there. There's never going to be another Sweden's Cove ever. There's never going to be another the old course ever, right? Like these are just things like you can't yeah. try to recreate. You got to take what you love from it, create what works for you and what you're trying to accomplish and something special will come of that, right? And now my ideal is that embraces some of the democratic aspects of Sweden's Cove, the public aspect and so on, but it's not going to be Sweden's Cove. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, it, it, I, I hear people in your answer there in that, that it's such an unlikely collection of folks that had to kind of come together in a very, uh, let's face it, a desperation, right? And you, yeah. you go listen to my favorite pod we've ever done is Out of the Ordinary, the title of it. And it's about, it's talking to Rob Collins for two hours and he gives you the, the nitty gritty of um, what it was like at the time of building the place and how uh, on the edge he and his family were uh, to get that place built during the 2008 collapse. And I mean, he didn't have an option, you know, and his whole soul and his whole heart was poured into it and he made it work. And not only that, there was other people that noticed like a Patrick Boyd and the others and his eventual, you know, owners and investors. And that, that is really fascinatingly unique to to think about um there's no bailout that came it was just it it has to be beloved because the people that come are the only ones that are going to keep this place open right mm-hmm. and um and man <laughs> to see it's just it's just so cool it's one of the coolest stories in golf in my opinion and uh, uh i want to read another Mackenzie quote because I think a lot of what you just said about Rob can be applied to maybe what Mackenzie thought of Pasa. I, I don't know if Pasa, you know, it, it was his favorite. He built his home on the golf course. I don't mm-hmm. know if Rob has any plans to build his house like up in the hillside overlooking Swedes. Rob, if you're listening, do it, man. That'd be cool. Everyone could just point, there's there's Rob. That's where he lives. <laughs> but um, but it this quote, you know it well, it hangs above the shed. It is only natural that players who have been spoon-fed on insepid, flat, uninteresting golf should view with considerable amount of suspicion anything which is undoubtedly out of the ordinary. And that that quote hangs there. It's Alice McKenzie. And it's like, yeah, it, it, what you talked about the experience, and this brings it back to specifically the golf course. When you talk about that experience, it's, a, it's really a fascinating um, study in ego, which the game of golf generally is. But at Sweden's Cove, you know, you, you could be a, a muni golfer who never pays more than 30 bucks uh, uh, for, for your weekly green fee, or you could be a, a member at Pine Valley, Cypress Point, and Augusta National, and both people are showing up the exact same at uh, in the eyes of Sweetens Cove at Sweetens Cove, and there's a, a, a an ego that needs to be broken. And, and I think, you know, on the golf shots, again, the ejection – of Sweden's Cove, when you get ejected 
I don't know. I don't care how good you are. You're, you cannot avoid an ejection at Sweden's Cove. And um, yeah, some people are going to have more than others, but you get on the wrong side of a pin or you hit a slope that throws your ball, you know, out, out into the ordinary, uh, you, you have to be humbled and you have to approach it with just a sense of, um, Hey, accept acceptance. And I know because I finally deciphered our friend Rob's, uh, uh, theory. He once said that his, one of his favorite movies is no country for old men. Mm Mm-hmm. And I recorded, actually, I think it hit me through conversation with him when we were out at Landman um, for our summer medal last year, another Rob Collins, Tad King original. But I finally got to uh, the, 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 the heart of why he loves that movie. And it's kind of a metaphor for the way that he looks at building golf courses. And I don't think he'll mind me, me sharing this now, but it's, it's life isn't this controllable variable. Everything in life is a variable. And, and we have to accept that for us to, to live. And so there's no fairness in, in his builds. There really isn't, you know, it rewards good golf, certainly, but there, there's no, uh, chaos will ensue. Like you have to, to some degree to live a happy life, you have to accept your mortality. You have to accept that, um, you, you won't control everything. That, that that's just the factor. And once you give up that, and once you start to ride with that and flow with that, uh, it provides the best moments and you got to be present in order to enjoy it. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's one thing. There's also another theory that I went way off the handle on from old No Country for Old Men that I'll save maybe for another episode. Because uh, he was like, I never thought about it that way. But that's it's uh, it has to do with, um, uh, well, I, I'll save that we'll for save. another hour and a half pod well that first theory is beautiful because it just speaks to the democratic nature of sweden's cove that no matter who you are you're going to get embarrassed at some point right like right it's going to happen and like it's about how you respond to that because if you respond in a poor way it's going to keep happening right it's going to just it's going to keep happening but if you just laugh about it pick up try again and the course is going to reward you on the other side right like you're eventually going to get to a place where you're going to hit a golf shot that going to make you feel type of way you maybe never ever felt in golf because the way it's going to use a slope and work out and just magically i mean it's the ball on the ground phenomenon right that ball gets on the ground and you're just watching it watching and watching and there's something beautiful about that and I'll, I'll connect two points here from the golf to what we were talking about with the conversations and the things that people share and the thing don't you think that has to be if it's not intentional it's definitely occurring meaning when you break down someone's ego and their their layers and their shelter of of I'm going to look stupid and I'm looking stupid in front of people I don't know. And I'm looking stupid in front of, you know, my, my, my old man, my dad, my, my best friends or whoever your group you're with, it doesn't matter. You know, there, there's gotta be a level of that, that shifts you, your, you know, your approach and, and what you're willing to chat about, what you're willing to expose. And, and I, I think that's a really cool thing in, in the design where there's no, no way to avoid that. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a subset of people that don't like Sweden's Cove. And I think that that's oftentimes in my experience with them, like the discomfort Sweden's Cove creates because of those things, right? Of that embarrassing shot or whatever. Like someone like, oh, it's never happened to me in a golf course. All of a sudden the ball is back at my feet again. Oh, I just did it again. Like ball is literally three shots and it's back at my feet every time. That creates a discomfort, right? And the question is like, how do you deal with that as a person when you're around other people? And so many of us have... A, 
either fight or have our identity wrapped up in the golf, right? Maybe too much even at times. And so it's creates that discomfort into people walking off. You know, they want to trunk, they want to slam their trunk and just be like, oh, it's too, like you said, we'll have Stephen Proctor on here in the future talking about fairness in golf um, to tease a future episode. But that that idea of fairness and what does that mean and can you deal with the discomfort of when that stuff happens at Sweetens Cove? That's great. And yeah, good tease. Stephen Proctor, we're having on to talk about that exact ideal of is there fairness in golf? Should there be? Is there a place for it? Um, you know, there's two distinct schools of thought on that. And so we're bringing in a guy that's researched it well, uh, to chat about anything else for, so we got through two, I think, I think we should give ourselves, uh, some credit getting through two fixtures and, and around our average show length is, is fairly appropriate. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you're going to bring up Sweetens Cove, you're, you're going to be stuck for a while. That's, that's, uh, let's acknowledge that there's no talking about it for five minutes and moving on, um, at least not with me in the on the um, co-host duties touche and uh that still means we have a number to get to um for additional podcasts so we'll kind of spread these out throughout you know we have some time if you're a member of new club and you're listening the registration dates for these typically come out 120 to 180 days prior um so right now the only one that's open is the winter meeting to uh northern california with the courses of alistair mckenzie the spring meeting will drop sometime around the new year. And then the summer medal headed to Sand Valley. And we're playing Lido and Sedge Valley. So there's a lot to talk about there. We're going to be there for a few days. Um, and then the pilgrimage headed back to the home of golf in St. Andrews. This will be our second uh, official pilgrimage for a group of new club members. So we got a lot of adjustments to to run through there, Professor. And then uh, wrapping it all up is going to be the Founders Cup of 2024. Uh, the golf courses of Mike Strantz, which I'm actually happy we didn't get to Mike today because I Jay Ravel's been on this show. He's done a bunch of research on Mike Strantz. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into a lot of Jay's stuff before you and I chat about that because fellow Ohioan, you know, he's one mm-hmm. of our own. He's born in Toledo, Ohio. And you look at his short life, um, it was taken tragically from us, what he – uh, was able to do with a golf course and kind of the spirit of the things we're talking about, huge inspiration for Rob Collins. And uh, I, I, I want to know more about the man. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Cause we got uh, a bunch of his courses in South Carolina. We got to run through as well. Is there, yeah, it's, I like to think of Rob as a reborn strength sometimes just a continuation, which is, uh, you know, it's unfair to say that to Rob. So I don't truly mean that Rob is by far his own unique and awesome individual, but like, He's the only other person that's building golf courses. That reminds me of like, you know what Mike built at Tobacco Road and so on. But yeah, he needs quick, it. Rob needs to grow the, the handlebar mustache. Really <laughs> I can't imagine Rob. I don't, I don't think, think, I don't think Denise grow. would let him do that. Um, real, real quick before we end, I got to bring this up and then maybe we could just can tease the, the episode on it. Is it possible to say that Sand Valley is underrated as a golf resort? Mm. You know, I'm going to go right now with appropriately rated. Um, I think I think that answer has a lot to do with you and where you and I are located. So I think in the South, 100%, the majority of golfers probably aren't paying attention to the incredible golf at Sand Valley. I think in Chicago, where I spent the last 15 years, it's it's talked about mm-hmm. a lot, right? So, um, but but I do say that where now I'm in Ohio and and people maybe aren't making the trips from here as much. I know I've met some people who have, but not as many. So yeah, I think 
it's, I, I think it has a lot to do with locality and here's mm-hmm. why people just, it's hard for them to flip their head to Wisconsin, especially the center of Wisconsin. When people know Kohler, they watch the Ryder Cup, all that. But to see on a map that this is in the dead middle of uh, the state of Wisconsin and you're, you're, you're telling me it's going to be a Bandon-esque experience, a Cabot-esque experience, you know, a Scotland-esque experience. Like, I just think it breaks people's brains and they just aren't there yet. To those people, I tell them, get your ass to central Wisconsin. It's going to break your brain. It's going to be incredible. So, yeah, that's my that's my answer. Yeah, because I haven't played the two newest courses, um, but my recollection of the previous two courses and the par three course, I mean, it's harder to find firmer golf um, in the world. So, I think they're... There's an argument it should be an international destination. Um, it's just my that's my my hypothesis without having played the two newer courses. So I'll be interested in those that have to to see if that rings true. That you know you get to talk about four great amazing golf courses plus an amazing short course. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to it on our next one. And I'm already getting uh, these signals from my dying head pods that uh, today's <laughs> episode is brought to you by Titleist. So Titleist, their approach to fitting is built on three dimensions, distance control, dispersion control, and scent angle. Finding the optimal balance of all three treats you to a whole new level of approach consistency. Whether it's the T100 for the better player looking for precision, control, and feel, or the T150s for the player who wants the same precision and feel of the T100s, but with a little increased speed, distance, forgiveness, uh, or the T200s for the player who wants added distance but doesn't want to sacrifice their look, feel, or trajectory, the new family of T-Series irons has something for all golfers. So when you get fit with a certified uh, Titleist fitter, you get to try them all. And, and uh, our members of the Quest for the Crown are going to be doing that here very soon. And, um, and I look forward to uh, more from our friends at Titleist. So thank you, Titleist, for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, check them out at Titleist.com and their full um, array of fitters around the country. Professor? This was fun, man. I'm looking forward to rapping about the, the additional fixtures on uh, subsequent shows as we go through, as we approach 2024. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers.